Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Born in the Rockies, Coors Light is lagered cold for a crisp, clean taste. Filtered cold to ensure clarity and brightness. And packaged cold for peak refreshment. Because those who thirst for more deserve the world's most refreshing beer. This is the Bulls Talk Podcast, presented by Coors Light. I'm Layla Rahimi, happy to be joined by Casey Johnson from Memphis. Coming up on the show, we will talk about the 126 to 125 loss to Charlotte, where the Bulls looked bad, didn't look good, then unfortunately choked up a 10 point lead with 7.01 to play. And we will look ahead to the other rookie phenom awaiting in Memphis, Tennessee. But first, Casey. We're going to have to start at the end. Bulls giving up that 10-point lead with 7.01 left. Hornets go on that 15-1 to run. What did you think about the team's execution down the stretch? Because that turned into a very winnable game after what we saw after the first half. Yeah, Layla, I thought they were very poor uh, executing, really, at both ends. Um, you know, the defensive issues were pretty prevalent throughout the whole game. Uh, except for that stretch that got them the fourth quarter lead where Chris Dunn really, you know, imposed his will on the game and, and kind of flipped the script with that dominant stretch that he had. But the defensive issues otherwise were prevalent all game and certainly prevalent down the stretch. They, you know, they just really, really slow on rotations, closing out on three-point shooters. They were allowing um, Charlotte to, to drive middle and kick out, spray out the shooters way too easily and way too consistently. And then offensively, I felt, you know, they, they really started kind of getting away from moving the ball. Guys, it started sticking a little bit. Guys were pounding the ball a little too much. Uh, I don't know if that's really a trust level or just, you know, a young team trying to figure out how to to close out games and win games. But as Zach Levine uh, said in his postgame comments, you know, this was something that they struggled with last season, and he had hoped that this year this team could move past that. So, you know, obviously just one game, but the fact that some of the same um, problem areas that, that plagued the team last season cropped up in, in game one is, is not an, incur- an incredibly encouraging sign. No, in fact, it is very discouraging, especially when you think about how many new personnel there are compared to last season. And the score, unfortunately, a little familiar as well, Casey, when you think about how many points they allowed to the Hornets. That wasn't something that this Bulls team wanted to see, and we saw it a couple times in the preseason. But now it's a regular season, and 126 points is not good. Right, and, and I, you know, I'm sure everybody has their own opinions about the defense. You know, uh, some, some things across my sphere in terms of email and Twitter, et cetera, as you know, fans say, well, they think Boylan is – you know, supposed to be a defensive-minded guy, and so this is poor coaching, et cetera. What I saw was really – it wasn't really schematic. It was more effort. I, I just saw guys kind of slow to um, stop dribble penetration and particularly slow, as I mentioned before, on closeouts. Um, you know, I, I, I thought that the, the, the Charlotte had tons of open looks from beyond the arc. So um, I really didn't think it was too – 
schematic. I really thought it was more effort and and uh, and just energy. I just felt felt like the Bulls were a step slow defensively all night. It started with poor transition defense early. I thought the transition defense did get better in the second half, but the half court defense throughout looked a step slow. So we talked to Jim Boylan today after practice about you know whether he thought it was schematic or effort, and, and he agreed that it was more. Um, you know, just guys got to take pride in that end and, and, and close out guys. And we've heard, you know, players as varied as Zach Levine to Lowry Markin and say they want to take more ownership at that end. Um, you know, like you said, now's, now's the time to do it because the regular season games start coming fast. Well, and you mentioned the perimeter and the numbers that the Charlotte Hornets put up were a franchise record. 23 three-pointers, 52% from three as a team. That's just outrageous on any level. And maybe right. the and, best example... Oh, go ahead, Casey. No, and that goes back to how open most of those looks were. I mean, uh, there was one stat I saw where I think 20 of them were, you know, no defender within four feet. I mean, you and I could make some of those, Layla. So, I mean... Those are wide open looks, and uh, you know I, I think again Charlotte did a good job of beating guys off the dribble and getting to the middle and then spraying out. So some of those closeouts are going to be difficult, but they weren't all like that. Some of them were just poor rotations and closeouts when the ball's already on the perimeter, and that's that that needs that needs to be cleaned up in a hurry. You're going to see a lot of games like like that. Oh yeah, and if you can make your shots like that as a team, things will usually go your way. Maybe the best individual example for the Hornets last night was P.J. Washington, 27 points, 7 of 11 from 3. And I saw the note, Casey, that he wasn't even named a starter until 90 minutes before tip-off. Yeah, how about that as a rookie and uh, set an NBA record with uh, you know that many three-pointers in his NBA debut. Not, not a bad night for, for the Kentucky product. And, uh, um, you know, Charlotte's going through a lot of changes, uh, you know, with Batum coming off the bench and obviously Kemba Walker and Jeremy Lamb no longer there. So that that's the other disappointing and discouraging thing about last night. You can say it's one game, and it is. There's 81 still to play, obviously. But to me, that, that loss kind of felt bigger than just one game because you had, you know, some legitimate buzz and optimism and feel-good vibes coming out of preseason for a team that is talking playoffs. And you're, I know any road game in the NBA is tough, and you know it, there's no such thing as an easy game in the NBA. But Charlotte, by most accounts, is going to be a pretty poor team this year, and obviously is starting some very young players. They've got two second-round picks in the starting lineup, uh, a rookie in PJ. So that that's that's a game if you're talking about wanting to make a jump in year three of the rebuild that you really need to win. Yeah, and let's just take it a little bit more micro now the situational basketball at the very end of the game Zach Levine could have hit a three to tie he decides to drive the lane and it was an interesting quote in Jim Boylan after the game where he said I think he thought that there were six seconds left and not four and a half what did you think about that final few seconds there yeah I mean we talked to Zach about it afterward I mean he wasn't going to take he wasn't going to say he totally blew it but I mean he, he acknowledged that it, it was a it was a fine line but I mean We've all seen Zach. I mean, he's as he as he gave voice to us. I mean, he, he always looks for the three first. So, if you watch the replay, I mean, he does stop at the three point line. He knows the situation. He he looks for the three. Um, Marvin Williams kind of comes out on him and defends him. So then he decides to drive. Yeah, to me, it's the wrong decision. But it's easy to say that uh, twenty twenty second guessing. 
um, in a split-second moment, Zach knew that they probably needed a three but didn't feel like it was there, so he thought he'd get the quick two and, and defend. A couple things wrong with that theory. I mean, they weren't defending anybody all night, so <laughs> you know, even if you do get the quick two like he did, getting the stop probably is going to be pretty difficult. You're out of timeout, so... In retrospect, uh, you know, I think Zach, if you gave him some true serum, would either want to take that shot himself or drive and kick so that somebody else does. Because, you know, the Bulls had two opportunities in those final 18 seconds where you're down three with the ball. Uh, The other time, they ran a nice out-of-bounds play. Lowry Markkinen uh, faked a dribble handoff and drove and got fouled. Um, I have no problem with that possession because, obviously, you got a great look at the rim and there's still, you know, 18-some seconds left at the start of that possession but in Zach's case um, you know it's it's easy to second guess but I think everyone would agree that that you, you need to get something on the on the rim there from from beyond the arc right yeah I have no problem with the ball being in Zach Levine's hands in that moment in the game that's who you want it in otherwise you know with Larry Markinen. and let's focus on Larry now just an outstanding game out of him 35.17 rebounds what did you think yeah, I mean, there's no other way to describe it other than outstanding because not only to me, as I wrote uh, on NBCSportsChicago.com, uh, the, not only the numbers stand out, but the way he achieved those numbers. I mean, he scored his first 26 points, Layla, without making a three-pointer. He missed his first six attempts from three. We all know that shot is going to come for him. He's too good of a shooter for it not to. So he's up to 26 points before he even makes his first three-pointer. And, you know, all all preseason – storyline and, and I wrote it several times was this guy looked like looks like he's drifting too much I mean he was spending most of his time in the preseason on the perimeter he was almost being relegated to a spot-up shooter uh, status and he's way too talented and way too much of a potential matchup nightmare for that to be the case um, so to see him put up not only those numbers but to do it the way he did uh, aggressively attacking to the rim getting to the line double-digit times um, you know, getting downhill, uh, one time scoring in the post. I mean, that 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 is just that that that's the varied offensive package that he can be, and that's absolutely what the Bulls need from him. I mean, to me, he looked a lot like he did in that dominant February stretch of last season. I mean, he was flirting with a 30-20 game, and that's just phenomenal. But you know, I thought Jim Boylan might have uttered the, the soundbite of the night post game when he said. When we were talking about Lowry, you know, he, he said, you know, you get a 35 and 17 from a guy, you, you got to win that game, and and that's that's a disappointing aspect of it. You get that good of an individual performance against a winnable team, and, and you can't close out that game on the road. Yeah, I think Jim Boylan is correct. I don't understand any other way around it than to have that attitude. A couple of other bright spots I thought Casey were definitely the Bulls' 78 points in the paint. That's a ridiculous statistic, and then. Kobe White, and I know we're going to get to him in a second, but I also want to focus on what you thought about Chris Dunn because we saw an elevated defensive performance out of him in the preseason finale, and we wanted to see how that was going to translate to the regular season. Yeah, and I think if you're talking about uh, first test, he, he passed it with flying colors. As I mentioned before, you know, I, at one point you know, I was working on uh, – I, I post something on, on, a, on the website you know, right when the game ends, so I was kind of shaping it as a possible victory when he when he had that game-changing run in the fourth quarter and I and I was basically painting him as the star of the game I mean anybody who watched that stretch I mean he just completely took over the game he had two of his four steals he was making it difficult for 
the Charlotte ball handlers even get the ball across half court or into their offensive sets. He was disrupting basically everything. And then he even scored seven points in that in that run. And he scored in ways that Chris has historically struggled with, which is finishing at the rim, including one traditional three-point play, you know, on an and one, um, where he powered through contact, made the basket, and then knocked down the free throw. So, um, you know, it's to me a, a clearly a good sign for the Bulls that he's uh, embracing and accepting this role. It's clear that, you know, a light has flipped for, for Chris just with the way he's comported himself with the media and talked to us and just his mood and his ex- role acceptance is night and day difference than it was at the end of last season. And, look, he, he's, he gets it. I mean, he's in a contract year. Um, you know, his, value, his trade value over the summer was non-existent, and if he wants to get somewhere else, get into a starting role – um, you know, he needs to accept this role, play it lights out, and, you know, maybe a trade materializes during the season or he plays himself his way into a, a contract either with the Bulls or somewhere else next summer. So um, really encouraging sign, just not like, like I said, not only for the way he played on the court, but just continuing that, that role acceptance that's kind of defined his season to this point. Yeah, he's definitely talking the talk and walking the walk, and it is showing up in his play on the court. It's one of those performances, Casey, where I thought I would see a more indicative plus-minus, and unfortunately I didn't in the box score, minus eight. But you can't put on paper what he's done over his last two games. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, to me, if, if, if they win that game, they, they win it because of, of Chris Dunn, because of how he just changed the complexion and the tenor of the game in that stretch in the fourth quarter, particularly because, as we've mentioned, I mean, the Bulls really didn't guard anybody all night. And in that stretch, they were getting stops. They were getting out in transition. You know, two of those were directly off his off his steals. Um, so, yeah, he, he had his fingerprints all over that, that momentum change. And then, unfortunately, the Bulls uh, let it change back the other way and, and didn't close out the game. Well, this seems like a natural place to take a quick timeout as we are done looking at the loss from game one, and we are going to move forward to game two. So stay with us. More from KC from Memphis on the Bulls Talk podcast presented by Coors Light after this. Your Bulls, your way, anywhere, anytime. Download the My Teams app by NBC Sports. Stream games and get the best Bulls coverage in Chicago at your fingertips. Download the My Teams app today. We are back on the Bulls Talk podcast presented by Coors Light. Layla Rahimi once again joined by Casey Johnson from Memphis. Casey, you were at Bulls practice today and you had a talk with Jim Boylan and he mentioned trying to fix those defensive lapses. What was your impression of what he said? Well, my impression was that they they messed up a lot of basics, which is, you know, don't let teams drive middle. I mean, every team in the NBA tries to keep guys out of the middle and obviously, you know, this is an offensive league, and this, these are talented players, so you're not going to you know, achieve that every possession, but you certainly can achieve it more possessions than the Bulls did against Charlotte. And he also talked about transition defense, which particularly in the first half of the Charlotte game was incredibly poor. And that, that to me, goes back to, to effort. I mean, you've got to – it goes back to effort and, and communication. And I didn't – all we've heard about in training camp was how well these guys are communicating. We don't get to watch practice, but you know, players talked about their ability to learn how to trust each other and their ability to, to talk and, and communicate. And 
I just didn't see a lot of that or hear a lot of that uh, last night. So, um, you know, Jim is Jim was in a really upbeat mood today at practice, and you know, basically because he said these these are these are very easily correctable issues, and he said you know they had a great film session before practice, and the he, he didn't really even need to say much. I mean, the players saw it when you, you know when you see it on tape, you can see when guys are uh, you know lagging back a little bit or or maybe slumping their shoulders a little bit after they miss a shot or you know maybe complaining for a millisecond to a referee you, you gotta if, if you don't get a basket you got to put your head down and even if you do get a basket you got to put your head down and get back on defense so that's just that's just defense 101 and then you know again you want to penetrate middle as uh, limit penetration in the middle as much as possible and then the closeouts that that's that's an execution thing and that's um something that they, they've got to clean up and then before we get to what I think is a fun story that you're about to post on NBCSportsChicago.com, John Morant is now synonymous with Memphis. So what do you think we can expect out of this next game? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be fun. I mean, you know, Memphis has got, obviously, they're in the middle of a rebuild as well. And they're probably, not probably, they're in the earlier stages of it than the Bulls, you know, say that they want to be. So they're building around Jaron Jackson Jr., who you know had a really strong rookie season until it was cut short by injury, and and John Morant, um, and you know anybody who watched Ja in, in college, particularly in the tournament, saw how electric he can be. Um, pretty nice debut in, in their loss to to the Heat. Um, and what I liked about it was also some of the comments I already made afterward. Is in that you know he doesn't care how he's played. They they lost the game, and in that regard. Um, He's actually, to me, a little bit similar to Kobe White because, um, you know, Kobe obviously put up decent numbers with 17 points and seven assists in, in his debut. Um, but he he's focused on the loss. I mean, he said he had 13 friends and family at the game last night. Some UNC basketball staffers made the trip. And he wanted to go talk to him afterward, but he also said he wanted to get up out of there because they lost the game. And that that's how serious he takes this. So, um, you know, White obviously doesn't doesn't start. Ja Morant does. So, you know, I don't know how much they'll be matched up against each other, but there certainly will be some possessions where they are, and that'll be a really really fun matchup against two lightning quick and electric uh, rookies. Yeah, definitely. Maybe a glimpse, a little bit of the uh, NBA's future on stage on Friday night. And I enjoyed your tweets about the conversation you had with Kobe White and Michael Jordan. And his name, of course, synonymous because of the scoring record at North Carolina. But he says he didn't know Michael Jordan was at the game. Well, the best part about it was I went up to Kobe and, and I, I, I saw Michael last night briefly. He, you know, he doesn't give interviews, but I, I was lucky enough to be around the, the second three-peat. So I know Michael from way back. And um, he came in the post-game hallway afterward and was catching up with some longtime Bulls people like Tim Hallam, the – PR guy and John Ligmanowski, the equipment manager. And so, you know, I, I saw Michael. And so then I just thought it was natural that, you know, Kobe might have seen Michael. And <laughs> look, they don't, they don't have a ton of ties other than, okay, they're, they're Bulls first-round picks from University of North Carolina. You know, one's 19 and one's in his 50s, right? But You know who Michael Jordan is if you've picked up a basketball. Right. No, no. You, I'm just saying, but they don't have a lot, like, close ties. But I still thought it'd be kind of fun, you know, the UNC connection, first game, Bulls, yeah. Hornets. And so I went up to Kobe. I was like, did you talk to Michael last night? He's like, this is a direct quote. He goes, no, I didn't. 
uh, and I was like, did you, did you see him? No, I didn't. Did you Did you know he was there? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> so, so, I mean, he didn't even know MJ was in the building, which I, I, I personally find hard to believe, but that he said it pretty convincingly. But, I don't know, Michael's got one of those presents that you kind of feel his aura when he's in the building. But Oh, uh, yeah, to say but, the uh, least. Maybe not for these millennials, right, Layla? I don't know. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, technically they're zennials now. We've moved on from millennials, so that's a right, totally no, different but, thing. But it was also funny because he, he repeated the story that he told um, at his introductory press conference in, uh, in June in Chicago uh, about how he and Nasir Little uh, were at the Jordan brand game in between their senior years of high school and freshman year of um, at, at UNC, and, and they saw Michael from afar, and they were both like two little school kids. You know, like they're <laughs> nervous, like, ooh, do we go up and say hi to Michael? And, and do we tell them, do, do we dare tell them we're going to UNC? I mean, like, you know, they're not worthy kind of thing. And and Kobe said he was too nervous to say anything, but, but Nas uh, just said, hey, man, we're going to UNC. And Jordan was like, oh, that's cool. And that was about <laughs> it. <laughs> that so, sounds about right. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's kind of funny to hear, you know, 19-year-old NBA players kind of share their, their Jordan moments as well because we've all, we've all, you know, seen that guy do so many crazy and wonderful things over the years. So, it's, it's it's interesting to see him still have impact on, on the younger generation. Yeah, for what it's worth, I've never seen Michael Jordan in person, and I don't know how I would act. So I totally understand where he's coming from. And let's face it, Kobe White had a lot going on, right? NBA debut in the state where he played his college ball. That's a huge deal. And then he focused, and it showed in his line. Yeah, and I thought I thought the biggest thing that jumped out to me was, you know, and it's been weird to talk about his game in preseason without sounding critical that he's clearly not a point guard because his his first focus is scoring and, and not passing. Yeah. But, but it's but I'm not saying that critically. If he and and I think the Bulls have done a good job of embracing that. The the phrase you keep hearing from Jim Boylan is he's a baller. You know we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna label him or say he's a point guard or shooting guard. He's just a baller. So, but I, what I jumped out to me from the debut was so he has five assists the entire preseason over five games i'm not good at math but that averages to one assist per game yes um and he had seven last night um and you know it was a stat that really kind of snuck up on you in fact i remember working in the media room uh about an hour after the game and some other writers were hanging around and i finally glanced down the box score and i was like kobe white had seven assists i you know it was like a quiet seven assists especially because you haven't really been focused on his passing or playmaking but the fact that he can have that kind of effect on the game, and he still had, you know, the scoring approach with the 17 points. It was it just continued the kind of the fearlessness with which he has played throughout the preseason, and, and that's certainly an encouraging sign for the Bulls. Yes, and if nothing else, laser focus to not even notice the great Michael Jordan in the building. Exactly. Casey, we appreciate the time. We look forward to your work coming up on Friday from Memphis. And for the rest of you, we hope you enjoyed this Bulls Talk podcast presented by Coors Light. Find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Subscribe if you like the show. Feel free to rate and review us. New episodes are ready every Tuesday and Friday morning. And like I said, we are your only home for Bulls basketball here on NBC Sports Chicago. So the game is at 7 o'clock from Memphis on Friday night. KC will be there. We have pregame live at 6.30. Thanks, KC. We look forward to seeing what you have coming up next. I'll see you at the home opener. Thanks, Layla. Thanks.